the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. And the first lesson that we learn here is this. People make mistakes. People sin. People make mistakes. People sin. More often than not, we confuse one of these for the other. We call sin a mistake. And certainly it is a mistake to sin. It's a fool's errand. It's a bad idea. But we have to be very careful here. Because sin is sin and God does not bless sin. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The answer for all my life Every giant will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible With you Hello and welcome to today's edition of the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so delighted that you've chosen to spend time with us today on the broadcast. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith will be taking us through a series on the providence of God, where we'll be making stops in the book of Ruth, in the Psalms, and also in the book of Job. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the book of Ruth. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study. A lot of times people say, well, I feel. Well, and sometimes I'll say to them kind of in a nice way, and sometimes, depending on the circumstance, situation, in a firm way, I don't care how you feel. All I care about are facts. And this thing that you're doing is hurting your family. It's hurting your testimony. It's harming your church. So your feelings have deceived you. Don't trust your feelings. Trust the facts. Trust the truth, the word of God. Secondly, don't make the mistake of sinning against God by relying on your five senses. We're talking about this in night school right now, the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below, which is earthly, natural, and demonic. Your five senses have a very limited view of the data. You can only see so far. You're like a goldfish in a goldfish bowl and you forget that there is the sovereign hand providing everything you need. Elimelech had sufficient knowledge of God's word, God's ways. They had the stories of the Exodus, how God delivered them, how he parted the Red Sea and he wouldn't trust in that God. You've got to trust God, not your gut. You have to ask yourself, what does the word of God say? Is there a principle I can find? and apply. Is there a prohibition, something that says don't do this, that I can follow? Is there a command that I can obey? 
They didn't go there. Which brings us to lesson number two. Choices have consequences. Choices have consequences. Always, always. They may not be immediate. They may be delayed. They may come to fruition later on. And Ruth, and Ruth 1, 3 through 5, we read this. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite, Moabite wives. Both Malon and Chilion died so that the woman, woman was left without her two sons and her husband. When you turn your back on God, don't expect good things. Elimelech's boys, like Lot's daughters, married outside the faith, embraced the culture that surrounded them. Why? Because the parents did. They just followed their example. Every day, whether, you know, whether a parent opens the Bible in a home or not, they preach. Whether a father is a passive or aggressive or balanced leader, he leads. And they learn the lessons from you as Elimelech's boys learned their lessons from him and not Omi. And so it bore fruit over a period of years. These folks left for greener pastures. They abandoned their faith and their children followed their example. And the God of Israel and the purposes of Israel for their purpose was in the proverbial mirror. It was irrelevant to them. They shouldn't have gone there. They shouldn't have married outside the faith, particularly Moabite women. Why is that? Deuteronomy 23, three through six. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. You shall not seek their shalom. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. This nation, Moab, was an enemy of God. No Moabite man could enter the assembly to worship Yahweh. He would be prohibited. And being born of a Moabite woman, just like being born of, a, of, an, of, a, of an Israeli or an, or an Israelite or a Jewish woman, makes you that. Moabite parent mother, you're a Moabite. Jewish mother, you're Jewish. That's the way it worked in the ancient Near East. Had the sons had children, they would have been considered Moabites. But the confusion would have come in the fact that the ancestral lands, they could possibly lay claim to that and cause great confusion because they would have inherited it through Ruth's line. But God wasn't going to let that happen. The wages of sin is death, and sinful choices have consequences, and sometimes these consequences are fatal, and that's what you see. They died. They left widows. There was collateral damage. Naomi had a role, a part to play in this sin. Most of the, of the weight of it fell upon her husband and her sons, but she also shared the blame because she was one of the adults. God would chastise her, yes, but show her great grace, and we see this in the closing verses of chapter one. We see her admission of her culpability and God's subtle yet significant grace. Watch this play out in Ruth chapter one, verses 19 through 22. So the two of them came to Bethlehem 
The whole town was stirred because of them, and the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified, has borne witness against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Verse 22, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. You see that God has not abandoned them. He has brought her home the hard way. He's brought her home to provide for her at the beginning of the barley harvest, as they say, timing is everything and the providence, the sovereignty of God. There are no accidents. Why is that? Because the barley harvest was significant in the, uh, if you want to call it, welfare system. There was no welfare today, like the government paying for people, you know, and things like that. But God provided a system for the provision for the poor and the widows and the orphans. And this was a practice of allowing the poor to follow the reapers in the field and pick up the missed spears of grain so they could eat. And it happened with vineyards with grapes as well as fields of grain they were to be available for gleaning. You know, how many times do we say, what can we glean from this? You know, what are the fine, finer details we can get? This all has to do with the harvest, the system of providing for the poor. You see it in the Pentateuch, in the, in the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 22. Here's God's command to provide for the poor during the barley harvest. When you reap your harvest in your field, And forget a sheath in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands, because you provided for the needy. Verse 21, when you gather grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And they arrived, they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Chance or providence? Luck or the sovereign grace of God and his involvement in every aspect of the lives of all people? One thing is certain, God never abandons his people, even when they forget him. So what, do we, what can we glean from that? Some application. Be slow to blame God for your hardships and quick to take a step back and review and, and examine your heart, your choices, and your sin. Naomi is starting to turn back toward God. Right now she's bitter. She wants to be called Mara. She knows that she's under the weight of his hand, you know. Psalm 32 says, when, you know, when I didn't confess my sin, your hand was heavy upon me. So she's, she's acknowledged her sin. And Ruth the Moabite is there to demonstrate it because that's her daughter-in-law. So be, I would say secondly, be quick to recognize your sin. Be quick to respond to God. Be quick to acknowledge his chastening and respond to that chastening love accordingly. And thirdly, I would say, understand in the midst of all of these things that when God is chastising you, if God is chastising you, it, you know, if you're in some trial, the chastisement may not be for any other reason other than correcting your wrong thinking, your wrong direction, but also to put up guardrails to keep you on course or to bring you 
back to him. The Lord has brought me back, she says. So to this end, we come to lesson number three. And that is this. Always, 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 always know that God remains engaged. There is no such thing as luck. There is no such thing as luck. Somebody once told, told me that a watch is a confidence trick invented by the Swiss. That time was invented by the Swiss to sell watches and that luck is a concept that's made up to get fools into casinos and take their money. There is no such thing as luck. God is involved. Everything happens for a reason. God cares, God loves, God provides. Where do we see this? You see this in Ruth chapter one, verse six, verses 16 through 18 and 22. We'll take a peek at them right now. Verse six, then she arose with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab, so she's looking for food there, that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she didn't get an email. There wasn't a phone call. Somehow, word got to her. And that word got to her because God purposed that it would. Verses 16 and 17 tell the tale of two daughters. But Ruth said... Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you will die, I will die. May the Lord do so to me and more. Also, if anything but death parts you from me. One daughter-in-law went back to Moab. One stayed with her and accompanied her on the 80 to 85 mile journey to uh, Bethlehem. God provided this Woman, this woman, Ruth, raised in a pagan culture, raised in an idolatrous culture. He put in her a love that would cause her to embrace the one true God, apparently, and to accompany her mother, unprotected. In those days, travel was very dangerous back home, to a place where she would not be welcome as a Moabite. And then there's verse 22. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Consider the hand of the Lord. God visited and gave food to his people, not abandoning them. And word got to her. And God moved Naomi to come home, bringing to her attention the goodness, his goodness toward his people. The Lord had visited his people and given them food. And God gave Naomi into Ruth's care. Apparently, somehow, Ruth was a believing daughter. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. And God brought them home at just the right time to just the right place and provided food for them. This applies to you, too. God is not some watchmaker that we're told who's wound things up and walked away. God is not some unknown God that the Muslims worship, that they can't really know what he thinks and things like that. God is not some mystical force in the universe that the pantheists worship. God is a personal God who is, in, who is involved in every aspect of your life, believe it or not. There are no accidents in God's universe. There are no random chances. There is no wasted suffering Remember what Jesus said, the very hairs on our head are numbered. 
that no sparrow falls from a tree apart from your Father in heaven, and you are more important than these. Like Naomi and Ruth, God is involved in your life as he was in their life. You, like they, were raised up for such a time as this, and you have no idea what your descendants are going to do. What legacy or what heritage you're going to leave behind and the ramifications of every choice that you make. You and I have no idea. And when it says children are a heritage from the Lord, that's true. I mean, think of Joseph's brothers in the Old Testament. They hated his guts. And everything they sought to do, they sought, they sought to kill him, they sought to sell him into slavery, they sought to get rid of him. We read this in, in the aftermath. He's the prime minister of Egypt, and they're standing before him wondering if he's going to kill them. And, but Joseph said to them in Genesis 50, 19 and 21 through 21, do not fear for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about it that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. You see that they sold Joseph into slavery. Joseph was a slave for over 17 years. But when the famine came that would wipe them out, that they would have starved to death, they came to Egypt to buy grain, found him, he recognized them, he put them in the land of Goshen, he preserved them, and he protected them because he was now second only to Pharaoh. Pretty much everything they did to harm Joseph saved them. And in seeking wrong directions, they found grace despite themselves. No excuses for their sin. But they were part of a larger redemptive plan that they could not see, just like Naomi, Ruth, Boaz, through whom Christ would come. And just like you, you do not know what your children, your friends, or the people that you influence are going to do, what they're going to be. And as you bear witness for Christ, you have no idea, no idea how many people, two or three, tens, hundreds, thousands, might be influenced over time. You know, too often we read the Bible and we read it too quickly. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He brings me back to him. Or in Psalm 32, do not be like the donkey or the horse or the mule whose trappings are the bit and bridle, otherwise they will not come near to you. But then you also read, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Or as we read in Ruth, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Words of great comfort. God is with us wherever we go, just as he was there. God is engaged in the details of your life, in the struggles of your heart, in the decisions that you make as you stand at the fork of the road and try to figure out, do I go with my gut or do I go with the word of God and what will people think? So what do you do with this? First of all, number one, recognize that God is always there. So there's always hope. And so make him and prayer your first resort. Secondly, recognize that your life is part of a bigger plan 
and that all things work together for good, just like the Bible says, and you don't know the pebble and the pond influence that your life is going to have. And understand that you must never mistake God's grace for his approval. Sometimes people say, well, it turned out okay. No thanks to you, but thanks be to God. Be sure to make his will and his word your first rather than your last resort and obey him. And you know what? Here's an extra one that I kind of just gonna throw in here. Write this down. Spend a week reading Psalm 139. Get up in the morning before you go to bed at night, read Psalm 1. It's, it's a little bit, it's not long, it's, it's middle. But if you want to know about God's protection and watch care over you, read that. Let that sink into your soul. Always remember that there's hope in the most hellish of times, which brings us to Dutch. Not the country, the man. Dutch grew up during the Depression. His father was a raging alcoholic. And his father, humanly speaking, was nearly useless to the family. And the family suffered great hardship, great privation. And Dutch kind of being, he kind of ended up being the man of the family. And I remember seeing him interviewed once where he talked about picking his father up off the floor and putting him to bed and his mother goes, you know, your father's sick, you know, and this is an illness. No, it was a result of sin, but it became an illness. And, you know, Dutch did whatever he could to, to, to feed his family. He even took a job as a lifeguard later on. He saved something like, I forget whether it was 25 or 50 lives over a couple of summers. And Dutch went on in life, you know, uh, uh, disadvantaged, scarred, but, you know, he just pressed on. And eventually, and eventually, he rose up. He made something out of himself, or maybe God did that, right? And before he died, he became a Christian. And before he died, Dutch Reagan brought an end to the Berlin Wall, brought an end to the Cold War, brought a country out of recession and into prosperity. You never know how God is going to use a common everyday person like you to do uncommon, incredible things as part of a larger picture and redemptive plan. Keep that in mind and look forward to the rest of the book of Ruth because it's, it's going to be great. It's going to be fun. It's going to be encouraging because providence is about to hit the gas pedal and things are going to accelerate and I want you to be there learning, rejoicing and finding encouragement even in this hellish times because there is always hope where there is God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Ruth chapter one. We thank you that you never forsake us or leave us, that you are with us always to the end of the days. And when we pray... When we seek your face, with almost seven and a half billion people in this world, you incline your ear to listen. Father, we thank you for the lessons that we can learn from Ruth. Help us to be mindful, Lord, to apply them, 
as an act of worship as we take care of this little piece of redemptive real estate that you've entrusted to our care. May we always keep our eyes on you, Lord, and not put you in the rearview mirror. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.